Welcome in to the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pre Eric Scopel on the show. Welcome to your bye week of the podcast. Uh, we are reviewing Oregon's season through five games. It's it's not a hundred percent fifty fifty split, but it's a perfect time to do this because uh, we're at a bye week and it's a good opportunity to hit reset for the last five games and kind of really look at where this team is at uh, through five games. On this podcast, we are going to dive into the offensive side of the football uh, and kind of run through what we think, uh, how organs perform, where they need to be better, where they're playing exceptionally well, I think. There are in certain areas at, at that. Um, <clears throat> wow, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> And we're going to start with uh, Eric's offensive grades. Um, his overall offensive grade is a B minus, and I think that's pretty fair. Um, his best grade that he has given out is an A, which was the Ohio State game, and then obviously the worst is the most recent one. Uh, that is the Stanford game, which was a C minus. Um, I, I think that's fair because – there has been moments where they've been really good. I, I think in that first half against Stony Brook, they were solid against Ohio State for four quarters. They were pretty much lights out. Uh, in some clutch moments against Fresno State, um, they were very good. Uh, they put away Arizona. But there were also moments in almost every game except for Ohio State where they just haven't been good. And in, it's not just one position. We'll get into that one position here in a little bit, but I think your your grading, Eric, is is pretty spot on here with a, with a B minus because we've seen some some really good and we've seen some really bad. Yeah, and it's been inconsistent, which I think is the story of this whole basically season so far. Matt wrote, I think, a really good reaction. I think basically two straight weeks about needing to see better consistency from this team after games and. That's exactly what I'm saying, too. It, this is a team which will come out for a couple of drives and perform really well. And this is a team that will then come out for a couple of drives and not perform well at all. Um, we saw that even against Stanford. I thought it was a tale of two halves offensively. Second, I don't even think the second half was a fantastic half of football for the, the offense. But it was certainly a lot better than the first half where they scored seven points, um, squandered a couple of points in the last, you know, the last drive of that half. Second half, they were, they were actually pretty solid relative to what we saw in the first half and i think that's just what we've seen collectively you know i mean i so i mean to recap i gave a c plus for fresno state an a for ohio state b plus for stony brook c plus for arizona and a c minus for stanford so two grades that you feel pretty good about ohio state and stony brook and three grades you don't feel great about and i think if you watch this team this year which obviously those listening have i think that's pretty fair um i don't think there's should be much qualms to the idea that this offense should be playing better that it has had some highs, but it's had a lot of lows too. Before we dive into the positional stuff, um, who do you feel like has been Oregon's best player on the offensive side of the football? I don't know if there's one where I'm just like automatically that guy. And maybe that's part of this consistency stuff, right, Matt, too? Right. Because I would say like game to game, there's probably a different answer. Um, you know, against Ohio State, you would say C.J. Verdell. Against Stanford, you'd say Travis Dye. Um, in between, I, I don't know what the answer has been because it's not like either of those running backs had humongous outputs against Fresno State, Stony Brook, or Arizona. Um, I mean, I think collectively it's it's one of those two. It's the running yeah. backs, and we'll get to that in a second because that is my highest position grade by a pretty high margin uh, or wide margin, I should say. Um, 
I think that's been part of the issue here. And and part of it is also that, and again, well, this, some of this will tie in later, but it's hard to pick a pass catcher because the offense has just not been able to consistently throw the football around. So to suggest that the best player has been like Johnny Johnson, who leads a team in receptions, is kind of kind of hollow. He has 11 catches through five games. So um, it's not it's not really easy to identify one. I think maybe that speaks to some of the issues we're seeing here. Um, you know, I think you you certainly can say the running backs have been the most impressive collectively, but it's also not like, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's also not like each game it's been one running back who's been the best. You could probably argue, looking through the numbers, that from game to game, week to week even, Verdell or Die, one of them has been more effective than the other. There is some positives with uh, this football team. And I, I think, first and foremost, even with all the struggles at quarterback, and we'll get to positions here in a second, but even with all of that, uh, Oregon has the second highest scoring offense in the conference, and it's by 0.2 points that separates Oregon from number one, and that's Oregon State. They're, they average 35.8 points per game. That's the second best offense from a scoring perspective in the conference. Yep. Their, their running attack is second in the conference at 210 yards per game. Now, some of that is by carry. You know, you look at their per average number and they drop down to fifth in the conference, but they are running the football a, a little bit more than than most other schools. UCLA is the only one that runs it a little bit more uh, than Oregon, but they're second in the conference in rushing yards per game. I think another one that's really good for Oregon, um, they lead the conference by a wide margin and in turnovers. You know, they just do not give away the football. They have the second lowest total in the conference, or the first lowest total in the conference. They're tied with Stanford at two. And their turnover margin is is the highest at 11, a positive 11, 2.2 per game. So th that is probably the, the and we're going to dive right into here now with Anthony Brown, is <laughs> when you look at what they're getting at quarterback and what, the overall offense is doing it's not like this is molasses it's it, it's literally a part of the offense that's really being hindered that's the passing game and you could argue the run game is being a little hindered here but it's hard to look at the data and say hey they've got the second highest offense they've got the scoring offense they've got the second highest rushing offense uh their their total offense is, is top five in the conference they're not turning the football over, and outside of one game, you know, outside of one quarter, they've, you know, they've played well enough to win uh, all five of their games. They're four and one in the top ten in the country. I think that probably, when you run through all of that, gives pause to should Oregon replace Anthony Brown. I mean, so, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're eighth in the country for a reason. The offense statistically stacks up okay in a lot of categories. I would also say the running numbers could be, especially against Stanford, I think they left over 100 yards on the table just on bad read choices. I mean, objectively, it was really bad, and at least two touchdowns. Um, so, yeah, the I mean, the strength is clearly the running game um, because anybody who argues the passing game is the strength is I, – I don't know what they've been watching. That doesn't actually compute, and that would – be confusing um I, I, you know where i stand matt in terms of making a change and we're going to get to quarter oh, it's, it's, here in a second but i'm you look at it like a half glass half full like half glass full is hey look even through all the struggles at quarterback they're still really good they're you know statistically speaking 
you know, they're putting up good numbers. Half glass empty perspective is look how much better the offense could be. And it's still even a solid unit right now. If, if they got, you know, consistent play at quarterback. Uh, I, I think they should change. Uh, I, I haven't said that publicly anywhere. So I'll say it here. I personally, I, I would try Ty Thompson against Cal. Um, but I, one aspect of it is that gives me pause is the Moorhead situation. Yeah. Moorhead was healthy and coaching. Um, I, I would be really on board with it, but with him, the uncertainty there, I'm not quite sure, but back to Anthony Brown, he's, he's not been consistent enough. And I think that's the part that really makes you frustrated with this team this season, at least on the offensive side of the football is, there, there's so much more that they can get out of this offense, and it's putting up good numbers as it is. I, that that was what I was just about to say. That would be the, 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 my response is I think this the fact that they put up the numbers they do with what I would describe as, and we'll get to the grade in a second here, not above average quarterback play, to me suggests that the ceiling for this offense is actually really high if they can get good quarterback play, if they can consistently complete some of these passes, if they can consistently throw the ball to the right player, um, if they consistently um, on a zone read or an RPO, the right player has the ball coming out of it. And that just consistently hasn't been the case. And I say consistently, not to say it's been, you know, below 50% of the reads are read, med, you know, are correctly read. Cause I would say that's probably a bit, a bit over the top in terms of suggesting that, but there have been every single game this season plays that could have been made that weren't made. And most of them have been because of quarterback. And that's why we get into quarterback grades here. And it's, it's pretty hard for me just looking at what I, you know, and again, I'm the one making these grades. So there's a level of subjectivity to it. And of course I'm going to support it, but I think you look at the grades and you go, there's pretty clearly a weak link here. And I think those watching the games would agree with that um, as well, especially those who've went back and um, credit to Jared Mack, who's not on this podcast right now. He's got, he had, a, he had to go get his uh, driver's license changed because he's moved out from Boston. So he's actually up in the DMV in Salem. So he, otherwise he'd be on this podcast, but Jared did a, a fantastic story on Tuesday on his machinations, breaking down a lot of the shortcomings in Anthony Brown's game. If you haven't read that, I suggest you go look at it. It's a free story um, because, you know, in part just because we wanted people to be able to see some of the issues and shortcomings. Who think we owe that to fans to, to let everybody kind of get a feel for what's going on here. Um, and it's just not, it just wasn't very good against Stanford. And, and Anthony said that everybody else has said that um, the tape doesn't lie. He didn't play very well in that game, and and to, and it to me is very concerning. And again, you go into a bye week here. That brings up a good point with Moorhead. Um, you know, we we've heard. I, I don't know how much we want to say, but we've heard that this is not like a this is not a minor thing he's dealing with. He's you know he was hospitalized over the weekend, and I don't know exactly what his status is today on Wednesday um, in terms of if he's back in Eugene or not, but. He was dealing with a very significant health issue. And if this does carry out a couple of weeks, Matt brings up a good point of like, if he's not available to coach the quarterbacks, do you really feel comfortable starting a true freshman against Cal? I mean, that's to me where it gets a little bit of a hairy situation. Yeah. I, I Nate Costa looked like he was coaching quarterbacks in that game. He's an analyst um, for Oregon. He was probably bumped up to a you know, on-field position for the day because of Moorhead's absence. Um, and he's a bright mind, a, a, a very good person in his role, but he's not Joe Moorhead. And this big of a change, which could alter so much of the season, uh, feels very risky without every assistant coach is important, but, and I don't want to try and differentiate, you know, importance to other guys, but right, right. Moorhead's probably like 
if you had to stack coaches and players, if who are guys that you just absolutely can't miss for a game or for three or four games and it not significantly impact the team? Moorhead's probably in the top 10 yeah. from a player and coach perspective. Um, and probably top five, if we're being honest. And if you're going to remove one of the five most important people of this program and make a change that's catastrophic to it or seismic to it, like that's pretty risky. Uh, so that factors into it here. All right, let's let's shift to running back. Uh, I feel like we've beaten. Well, the, can I can I do we do we say the grade I gave though? Can I just say really quickly the the grade? Yeah, it's not good. It's a, it's a C plus, and I actually I I think I, you're being generous. Well, and here's what part of it is, is the second half against Stony Brook, he didn't play. In that game, I gave it an A grade. So if you take away Stony Brook, you're looking at a much lower grade. And let's put it this way. I've, you know, the rubric I used to score this is, is 1 through 12 per each letter grade. Um, if you add up the totals for each game, the quarterback grade is 12 points worse than the running back grade and 8 points worse than any other position group on offense from my perspective. So just to put into context a little bit more in detail, like, he's it's by far the worst i i think personally i i t tend to agree with a lot of your rank your rankings and grades um i would do probably a c minus it's just just good enough for passing yeah um that's how i would view it last, last two games c minus against arizona d minus against utah that's what i yep. or sorry against stanford that's what i have Let's move to running back now. Um, I, I think this has been Oregon's best position all year um, on the offensive side of the football. Agreed. And you're looking at two guys that I'll be honest, like I was not really super high on either one of them being a, a top five running back in the conference. Hmm. Erdell, because of health concerns, died. I just didn't think he was someone, you know, that over the length of a season could sustain what he would need to, to be able to do to, to reach that level. And through five games, they've been there. Um, Verdell is third in the conference in rushing yards per game. Uh, he is third in the conference, obviously, in, in total yards. Die is right behind him at fourth. Uh, Verdell has six touchdowns on the season, which is fourth in the conference. And Die has four touchdowns on the ground, which is ninth in the conference. Or Three touchdowns, which is ninth in the conference. Um, I, I think these two guys, as a tandem, I never really bought into the idea that hey, we've talked, we've seen fans talk about it. We've seen Oregon certainly push it, best running back duo in the country. I never believed that going into the year. Um, I think it has some valid points to it, though. At, at, through five games, they're highly productive. And Oregon's two best offensive players. Yeah, hard to argue anything else. I think pretty clearly the best tandem in the Pac-12 is, is, yes. is something you can confidently say. The country, you look at Texas, they've got uh, B. John Robinson. I'm blanking on the other running back, but they've got two really good ones. And I'm sure there are other examples where you can say comparable or better than Oregon. But in the Pac-12 out west, I don't think there's much argument. Maybe you look at Britton Brown and, and uh, Charbonnet at, at UCLA, but statistically they don't match up. Um, from a grade perspective, I gave this position a B plus. That's the highest position group, not only on offense, but on the entire team. Um, for me, it's just the consistency. Um, this is an offense that has run for over 180 yards every game, over 200 yards, both games on the road against Ohio State and Stanford. Um, to me, the consistency, this is the only place where I feel like they've been pretty dang consistent. Um, 
I gave them an A plus against Ohio State, a B plus against Stanford, and then a straight B grade against Fresno State, Stony Brook, and Arizona. There's not another position group on the team that's even close to being at a B level every game, from my perspective. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that I, I calculated out a little bit more than just the letter grades. I, I gave they have 45 accumulated points over five weeks. The next best is 38 at wide receiver and tight end and offensive line. They tie. Um, that, that's a they're just they've been really good and here's the part that stinks matt is we're going a bye week we don't have a total clarity of what's happened with cj verdell we have again heard information we're not going to report that information um about what this might be mario cristobal will speak with reporters and media at some point this week i'm guessing he'll at least give us an update it doesn't sound good yeah we don't feel confident and it's not that we're holding back information and just for waiting for mario because if we felt confident we would report it Sure. But, that's what, yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. We, I want Mark. It, Mark I don't want to. I, I don't want to get in the habit of we hear what we think it is and we report it. Other, than, I'd like that. Yeah. So the question is, we just talked about how they might have the best tandem in the Pac-12, or I think they do. Um, half of that is now gone. We think for at least a significant portion of this season, and that's where you start wondering: Is this running game and is this running back position group going to continue to be? A strength of the offense and that's where you get a little concerned here because if you have issues at quarterback well boy you felt really good about being able to rely on the running backs now you kind of go okay i feel i love travis die honestly i think he's been fantastic and i think he can carry a sizable workload i also think he is somebody who cannot be asked to really carry the ball more than 20 times in a football game consistently or else there's going to be issues with wear and tear on his body too um he's not the biggest i mean he doesn't have a huge injury history but he's not the biggest or most physically intimidating imposing player. Um, Oregon will need another running back or two, or maybe all three, um, four when Sean Dollars comes back um, from injury. They'll need help from all those players. I think it's kind of an all-hands-on-deck situation until we – well, we'll see. We'll, whenever CJ is available, um, whether that's later in the season, whether that's in the boils, whether that's not at all. Um, we just know that we can't expect CJ Verdell to be on the field for the immediate future. Like, right, right. And that's probably the next three or four weeks. So, at minimum at minimum and it's it creates a deal where i i think die can be the starter mm -hmm. and can be the guy that you lean on for the most touches um they're gonna have to get creative with where those touches come from whether they're outside zone reads or swing passes or screens or stuff into the flats um I don't know how often they're going to want to run him, you know, dive. He was okay. Dive he was pretty good against Stanford, but we both agree that's not his strength. Yes. Um, he can do it in one game, but can he do it every game? That's the question. And it's now going to create uh, a situation where they're either going to have to lean on a freshman running back, probably Trey Benson or Byron Cardwell. I don't think you can count on Sean Dollars this season. Um, Not for, yeah, no, that's that's a lot. And and so it's gonna. Hey, is Trey Benson and and Byron Cardwell available, and are they capable of being that between the tackles runner, downhill physical guy that Verdell brought to the table? And if they are, then the offense stays the same. And this is where it gets crazy with quarterback again. Mm -hmm. If if you don't feel confident in one of those two guys being a between-the-tackle guy and you don't feel confident that Travis Dye can shoulder a workload of 30 touches a game, 
you're going to have to change the offense to a little more to one that leans on the pass a little bit more than the run, or at least more leaning more on the pass than you have the first five games. And that does not play into the strength of Anthony Brown. We both, we both, I think need, I think believe a change needs to be made. I think you also have to wonder, can you really expect that two major components of this offense to change in a bye week and for it to come out and look smooth against Cal? You know, I'm not suggesting you don't make a change at quarterback because of injuries at running back, but it, this offense is going to look a lot different, let's put it this way, against Cal than I think it looked in the first half against Stanford, regardless of what you do at quarterback. C.J. Verdell is a huge part of this offense, you know, and, and he's the primary running back, and his absence will change things. Um, and like you said, can they substitute one of these younger guys and insert him in the lineup? Probably probably both. I'm guessing it's going to be like an all-hands-on-deck situation, and we can't totally discount Seven McGee playing some sort of a role, but, but Matt and I both agree he's not going to be a player who's going to get the bulk of the carries there just from a physical perspective. I don't think that makes sense in a stylistic perspective. He's more of a Travis die than a CJ Verdell. Can they get that production? Cause if they can't, this offense could be in a real, in a real pickle. Yeah. It, it, it's, I mean, I guess maybe you, you factor in, look, this seems strange to say, <laughs> okay. Um, but probably Anthony Brown's best component at quarterback is his willingness and effectiveness to be a physical runner running the football. I'd agree. Um, and so maybe if you don't feel confident in Cardwell or Trey Benson running the football and you're not going to make a change at quarterback, it's going to require more carries to be devoted to Anthony Brown. Um, but the problem with that is we've seen time and time again, two weeks in a row now, that straight ripped points off the board, the wrong read on a zone read made. And the quarterback keeping it when he shouldn't, and the quarterback giving it when he should keep it. And that just gives me pause again, where if if you're going to lean on Brown, it's something I think – schematically what the offense has to change and it's maybe it's removing the decision out of his hands and, and of the rpo stuff and just straight design qb runs um because he is a i think he is a very good aggressive runner as a quarterback i'm in total agreement when, when he has design runs and he knows what he's going to do and he he's good out there he runs over guys he's aggressive i agree I, that is I, i'm in total agreement that's his biggest strength and and i I won't detract from the fact that you get him out in space and you you ask him to, to try to get to the sticks that he's going to do everything he can to get there. I, I that I'm I'm that's admirable the way he runs, um, especially as a quarterback. But the problem is that you, like we just addressed is unfortunately this is not he just makes bad decisions in the passing game. He's making bad decisions in the read option in the zone, you know, in the RPO stuff too. So can he figure that out? You know can he make strides there? Cause if he can't and you ask and you take away some of that read, some of those reads from the offense, you're kind of just changing the entire playbook and scheme a little bit here too, to, to fit a quarterback. And that, that to me feels problematic at the same time, <laughs> you might have to do whatever you have to do to win football games. And that might require a total reshuffling. Personally, I'm not a fan of saying, Hey, let's oversimplify this for the, to the point where, the offense is, is completely different um, because I think part of what makes this offense so fun and so difficult to defend when it is working properly is that the defense is kind of left guessing where the ball's going. You think about 
um, that Ohio State game when some of this stuff was clicking. Ohio State had no clue what was going to happen. They were ill-prepared for it. Some of that was coaching. That's been, I think, talked a lot about nationally, but a lot of that was scheme from Oregon. And I just would hate to remove some of that scheme that adds some, you know, some of the sizzle from this offense when it is working is just scheme related. I would hate to remove that because of the quarterback when you might have an alternative that can run it better. But again, we don't know if that can be run better because we just haven't seen it yet. You give you that grades for this group B plus um, your best grade for the running backs was an A plus against Ohio state. Worst grade B against Fresno state, Stony Brook and Arizona. I think that's very fair. Um, I have no issues at all with that. I think you did a good job there. Not that my opinion is the overwhelming <laughs> dominating factor there. Uh, <laughs> let's shift over to um, receiver and tight end. You combine these two. It makes sense to do it. Um, your grades are a B minus overall through five games. Your best grade is an A minus against Ohio State, and your worst grade is a C plus against Stanford. And I'm not going to even explain, or I'm not even going to provide the listener your explanation. I'm going to give me, uh, give everyone my feelings on this, and you can tell me if I'm correct in what you said or not. I think your grades are largely dependent on the inability to get Oregon's receivers and tight ends the football consistently. And if they had that consistent play, these grades might be different. I feel like I'm almost grading how well they block more than how well they are in the past game, because there just haven't been that many opportunities week to week. Um, and I think they've been really good as blockers, by the way, you talk about the run game at the running back, we'll get to offensive line in a second. Um, I think the receivers have blocked really well. I think the tight ends have been awesome at times this year as blockers. The hard part is like you just said, if we're trying to evaluate this group in the passing game. They just don't get a lot of opportunities. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous. You go look at the PAC 12 individual wide receiver leaderboard, Oregon's top receiver, Johnny Johnson, is 30th in the Pac-12. 30th in the Pac-12 in receptions. There's like four players on some teams ahead of him. You know, I mean, I, I, you could probably parse through there and find more than that. I, I'm just, it's pretty, it's pretty absurd, the lack of production you get there. They move the ball around a lot, which is fantastic. Um, I think it's great that you have a lot of players touching the football because I think you do have a lot of talent here. But it's, it's frustrating, I think, five games in looking at it going – is Oregon's leading receiver at the end of the season going to have like 30 catches for 380 yards or something like that? And if that's the case, hey, I know it's not – you don't play the season for stats, but nobody's going to be really thrilled with that. And when you – especially when you have the talent you have here, Matt, right? I mean, we've talked about so many times. This is, on paper, the most talented receiving core Oregon's ever had, and it's the most talented in the Pac-12 and one of the more talented in the country. And they're just not being given an opportunity to really show that off. And – that's frustrating. You know, I, one of the things I was most excited, honestly, of coming into the season was seeing what it looks like when Oregon has all these guys out here, because it's not just that they have talented guys, that they have talented guys that I think work well together, that are all different, that provide different skill sets. They have the tall, lanky, athletic guys that you can throw jump balls to around the goal line. They have small, quick guys that you get the ball into space and let them kind of do their work. They have possession receivers like a Johnny Johnson, who is who I think is very, very reliable. Um, in space, Michael Pittman, kind of those two guys are kind of, you know, similar in terms of they could be possession guys. And yet the reality is there's not a big enough sample size to really judge what they've done. I mean, it's almost like you could give them from a pass catching perspective of just in the, the passing game, almost an incomplete grade because they just haven't had enough opportunity to really judge. And that get back that gets back to the point I made earlier about quarterback. Um, and I don't want to belabor it, but you're right. It's hard to really evaluate this group because they just haven't given a lot of opportunity to catch footballs regularly. 
five of the team's 12 highest rated commits at receiver or, or tight end are on this roster. 12 of the team's highest 25 highest rated commits at tight end or at wide receiver are on this roster. Talent is not an issue. Mm-hmm. The production that they're getting at this position is because of a couple different reasons. One, either Oregon's quarterback is is not getting these guys the football. Two, the scheme is not the correct scheme to utilize the skill sets of these receivers and tight ends. Or three, Oregon grossly overvaluated these players and they are not as good as their rankings indicate. I do not think it's number two or number three. Um, I, I think it's the number one issue and you cannot get these guys opportunities to catch the football. And that's, I think probably, you know, I'm trying so hard to not have this be just let's, let's bash the quarterback syndrome right podcast but so many of oregon's issues and this is what i wrote about on sunday after the stanford game so many of oregon's offensive issues are a trickle down that comes from what happens at quarterback because no game is won or lost by one player in football it's just not that way it's a game it's a team sport you win as a team you lose as a team but that being said, there are positions that their ability to have a good game or to have a bad game severely impacts everybody else around them. And quarterback is the one probably in sport that matters the most for every other team out there. And at quarterback, unfortunately, they're not getting consistent play, which is the trickle-down effect where they're now not getting the correct production or a, a suitable level of production that they should be getting for what the talent they've accumulated at receiver and tight end. One, just one thought before we go to O-line is you brought up the three possibilities. It could be that it is scheme, Matt, but we don't know because the quarterback play hasn't let us know that. You know what I mean? Like, because it's just been so hit or miss. It could be that this is a bad scheme for receivers or tight ends. I don't think it is because I think there've been plays to be made. But with competent quarterback play, we'd have a lot better idea of if that's actually the issue. And that's to me, that's to me why making a change at quarterback makes some sense. I made the uh, analogy to like scientific experiments on, I think, the mailback show earlier in the week of it, it, once, you know, you can't you can't not do anything and expect things to change. Right. Isn't that like the definition of insanity? Yeah. But if you do make a if you do make a change at quarterback, you might recognize that really it wasn't the quarterback's issue. and It was a schemes issue. I don't think that's be, that would be what would be the result. But. You could come to that conclusion, in which case you'd have to take deeper thoughts and, and, and a deeper look at the at the scheme and some of the stuff Joe Moorhead's trying to do. But right now, it's really hard to even assess that because the quarterback play has been so bad. All right, offensive line, you gave a B- minus for the overall grade, A-plus performance against Ohio State, C performance against Fresno State. Um, this is a unit where it's, I think, Ryan Walk, called them a ragtag operation. Um, you've got a former walk-on and, and Ryan Walk. You've got two different JUCO guys and TJ Bass and Sala who have started games. Uh, you yeah, have some high profile. A, three, a third because of George Moore starts at left tackle. Right, that's three right. George Moore, he's been here so long, I forgot he's a JUCO guy. <laughs> uh, right. so you have three different JUCO guys. Uh, you've got two different four-star recruits, Alex Forsyth, Stephen Jones. 
getting starts. Uh, Dawson Jaramillo is a four-star recruit that's starting to crack into the rotation a little bit. Uh, Jackson Powers Johnson is a four-star true freshman that's also working his way into the rotation. Uh, And I think that right there, all of those guys playing is what's so interesting and so positive, but could also be if, if you don't have, if you're playing so many guys, maybe you don't have one elite guy at offensive line. Um, I just go back to Mario Cristobal's first three years at Oregon, 2017, 2018, 2019. And I understand that, you know, that was probably one of Oregon's best offensive line units in program history. Um, Throckmorton is playing in the NFL. I think he starts for the Saints. Shane Lemieux is hurt, but would be starting for the Giants. Pene Sewell is starting uh, for the Lions. Jake Hansen, I believe, is a backup center for Green Bay. And then um, the missing one more. Oh, uh, Warmack. Warmack. Dallas and, Warmack. And, and, and Brady Aiello, they are out of the NFL. Um, they're not participating. But you've got three starters along the offensive line. Uh, you've got a fourth guy that's a that's on a team. I don't know if there's that much talent on this year's unit, but I do know when Cristobal had a good unit, he did not rotate at all. I mean, basically the only reason Brady or, or Warmack came into the game is because the other one got hurt um, or was gassed to the point he needed to come out. Um, we're seeing planned substitutions. We're seeing uh, rotations of guys against Fresno State week one of the season, game on the line, and they're putting uh, – a no, this is no offense to Dawson Jaramillo because he has been really good, but they're putting a sophomore with three snaps to his name in place of a senior. Um, kind of alarming, kind of positive for Jaramillo. Um, I'm not sure what to make of this offensive line. Well, it was interesting against Stanford, and we should know Alex Forsythe didn't play because of back spasms. Um, they actually really didn't substitute after the first or second drive jackson powers johnson got the start and i don't know if he played the rest of the game um it was they really went with a veteran group there and i don't know if that's going to be the trend going forward i don't know if that was a solve for the fact that forsyth wasn't available and they just kind of wanted to keep everything around ryan walk the same but from left to right it was really george moore tj bass ryan walk stephen jones and big sala the entire second half and for my money that worked pretty good matt I thought that was a pretty darn good unit. And so obviously you can't, you wouldn't want to replicate that going forward because I think Alex Forsythe needs to be on the field. I think he's your most, if he's not your most talented or your best offensive lineman, I think he's still your most important because he's the leader there. Um, sometimes people overlook that and you need that at center. That that center needs to be, you talk about most important players on an offense. He needs to be a reliable player. And you think about when Oregon in the past has been really good. Think about the centers they've had come through here, like a Max Unger or Hironis Grasso. And I'm probably going to forget a couple other ones that were pretty good. Jake Hansen most recently. Um, Oregon has had longevity at center and Alex Forsythe, I think the next one. So when he comes back, which we think will be against Cal, he's dealing with back spasms. I'm not saying he's for sure playing, but typically with a bye week and some time, that would make some sense. I'll be curious to see what they do. Do they stick with a, you know, a more stable unit or do they continue to rotate? Um, I probably uh, am probably a little bit less concerned with the rotation, I think, than, than Matt is just because I think at some point it, it does benefit you to keep everybody, um, you know, well, better rested. Um, at the same time, it has been strange at times, at times seeing some of the choices that are made there. Um, I will, I will kind of just trust the coaches on this one. I think the offensive line collectively 
had one re- here's what I'll say about their performance this season one really good performance against Ohio State and I would say over the last three or four years Mario Cristobal being the head coach or the offensive line coach that might be one of the more impressive offensive line performances I think Utah pops into my mind against the Pac-12 championship of just like oh my gosh they just dominated that game against a really good Utah front but this is kind of up there since then, three straight weeks where it's been kind of like, okay, they're okay, they're making plays at times, but they're also getting beaten a little too much. And I gave consecutive weeks B minus, B minus, B minus in the last three weeks after Ohio State. Um, you need better performance there, especially if you have questions at quarterback and now some questions at running back. This group really needs to take ownership, I think. Um, you know, ultimately, a play is not destined, you know, destined for failure based upon bad or, or, or good offensive play line play. Right? There's a lot of factors, but if you can set the tone up front. And I think we saw that in the second half against Stanford. It can be very effective. So to me, this is the group that I say, man, they really, really, with some of the issues around them, they really need to you know, bond together and, and bring their A game. Because if they can play at a really high level, they might be able to kind of mask some of the you know, inefficiencies or, or issues that you have at quarterback. And I'm not going to suggest you have quarter, you know, issues at running back quite yet because we haven't seen it yet. But without C.J. Verdell, there's certainly a question mark there. I think this group needs to take its play up another notch here. And you can't get consistent B minus, C plus kind of play. You need A, A plus play from this group to really get this offense going where you need it to be. Real quick, I thought Oregon's performance offensive line wise in the second half against Stanford may have been their best half of the year, even against Ohio State. And the reason I say that is because against Ohio State, Oregon still had the threat to throw the ball down the field. Sure. They 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 connected on downfield passes in that game. Against Stanford, everyone in that stadium knew Oregon could not throw the football more than seven yards downfield. Everyone knew it. And Stanford stacked the box. They dared Oregon to throw. Oregon chose to ran instead, and they just churned out five yards every single time. And a large part of that's because of the offensive line. The only reason I dinged him and didn't give him a B or a B plus was the two false starts. And I know one of those wasn't on them. One of those was on Devin Williams, but those false starts were super costly at the end of the game. I agree with you, Matt. I don't know if I'd say best half, but it's certainly up there. I mean, if it's not outside of Ohio State, certainly your best half of football was against Stanford. And that's why I get a little optimistic of like, maybe they've kind of figured some stuff out there. Maybe they move away from the rotation if they think that really works. Um, I don't know because again, the rotation would shift because Alex Forsythe comes back and then who comes in, who comes out. I think Ryan Walk deserves to play, but I thought both Steven Jones and Big Sala were great on that right side last game. Um, tough decisions for the staff up front, but like I said, I think it's, piv- it's pivotal. It's imperative that this group plays at a better level than it has consistently the last three weeks for this group to get where it needs to go offensively. It's going to do it for us here on the Ots and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to this edition, reviewing the offensive side of the football. We'll be back later this week with a defensive look uh, and giving out our thoughts on where Oregon stands through five games at the midway point of the 2021 football season. Until then, you've been listening to the Ots and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.